What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Live Free Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Maxwell. Today's guest is Mr. Buana Spoons. He joins us via Skype from his studio in Portland. He's actually going to be down here in San Diego coming up next week uh, for Comic-Con. Coming up, it's... God, I wonder how many of those fuckers they've done. I'm curious to see if they stay in San Diego or just go somewhere else eventually. Um, so we talk about that a bit. He has an event coming up um, on Saturday. We get into that. He's also doing a show at the Daniel Rolnick Gallery coming up also in Santa Monica. So if you're in the area, you can check that out too. Uh, this episode is sponsored by our friends at Soho Design House. You can check them out at SohoDesignHouse.com or follow their Instagram at S-O-H-O-D-H, and that's just short for Soho Design House. If you're in the Los Angeles area, you can check them out at 6912 Melrose Avenue. Down there in the shopping district, you could see all the cool art rugs they make. And artists, if you're interested, um, go check out their website, SohoDesignHouse.com. Click on the, the area that shows you how the rugs are made and get a sense for whether this might be a good avenue for you to take for either your collector base or maybe you uh, want to get a gift for somebody this holiday season. might be good to start working on it now. They can craft any of the work that you make into a fine handcrafted rug again the process is really interesting they they've done a ton of stuff you could check out all the artists that they've worked with also on the podcast or on the website they've been sponsoring the podcast for a while and uh for a number of episodes so i want to thank them very much if uh if you guys want to please go and follow them at s-o-h-o-d-h on instagram and uh, Soho Design House on the Facebooks, the Twitters, and all of that. Um, big shout out to them. Hopefully I'll get to go up there. I, I got to make my way up to Los Angeles here pretty soon. So um, I'm going to try to pop in and check those guys out and get to see the showroom for myself and maybe figure out how we can uh, get some of my artwork on a rug. So again, SohoDesignHouse.com. Big shout out to them. Um I want to also give a shout out to the Unconscious Collective and Colin Frangizetto for their generous donation to the podcast this this uh, this past week or so, maybe two weeks ago. Um, it's always I, I've been getting a lot of messages from everybody talking about how much they appreciate and enjoy the show, and it lets me know that I should keep pushing and keep doing it. So I appreciate all of that, and if you guys want to support the show financially. Um, you could do donations, you go to MikeMaxwellArt.com, click on the podcast and you'll find a donation link via PayPal. And if you feel like it's important and you want to help the show continue along and help out financially, you could do that there. Otherwise you could tell your friend about it. You could leave a comment on the iTunes page, leave some, leave some stars, some ratings, all that stuff helps. Tell your friends about it. As always, make sure you follow me at Mike Maxwell Art on all the instagrams facebook's twitter's all of that uh we haven't seen producer lex here on the studio in the studio for a while but follow him at producer lex on the twitters and uh we'll get you all of buona spoons information at the end of this podcast so um with all that said let's just jump right into this thing and give mr buona spoons a call Mr. Buana Spoons, what? what's up, my friend? How are you? Hey, how's it going? It's going. Did, did, I'm doing 
All right, so I'm, I'm just going to let the audience in on the like 45 minute um, attempt to try to get this thing started first, because <laughs> we've already been having like a, a pretty long conversation, or just trying to get the actual thing to go, even though we couldn't hear one another for a moment. Can you not hear me now? That's that's all true. I can hear you now. You were uh, delayed there a little bit, no, but I, know. It, I, know. I think it just... it's all good. It never you're stops. Sh- you're shaking your head and talking at the same time, so now I think think it, we're good. Yeah, I know. The, even the screen, like the actual image, doesn't look as good now. It's if it's it's like a whole series of, and that's the like nature of the podcast. Like one, we just have to sit down and be able to do the thing first, which usually actually uh, we just got introduced via Daniel Rolnick. But um, I had met you before. I. And I think maybe either in Portland once or um, during Comic-Con, because I'm down here in San Diego. I, I bet you it was, was at, at Comic-Con. Well, I know that um, I did a show in Portland uh, a few years back, and I was staying at the Doug Fur or the, okay. the Jupiter Hotel. Oh. Uh, and I went to one of the Grass Hut shows was going on okay. the same week I was there. Oh, maybe we did meet then. So, but you know, it, you you're not in that space anymore, right? That's correct. And uh, I shut down the retail space. I set it free at the end of 2013. I like that idea of setting it free. <laughs> seven seven years was good, yeah. uh, and now we're kind of reopening a very miniature, miniature, miniature version out of at, inside another shop downtown. Okay, nice. Uh, has that been? Do you have that sort of entrepreneurial spirit? Uh, you know, I guess as artists, we sort of have to have that, but in terms of taking it into a sort of more traditional, uh, space that's, you know, like sort of different from a gallery, you know, you like running a shop is different than running a gallery, right? I I think so. Yeah. Um, but I'm not good at either one. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there's, there's very few that are, I suppose. Yeah, I, it's hard to be both an artist and a shop owner, and and people tended to think that 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 um, that somehow I made my living there, but I never did. It was always through making my art, and the shop just kind of existed as something that was fun to showcase mostly other people's work. Yeah, and yeah, I couldn't help myself. It seems like in when what what year did you start the shop? So you said seven uh, years. Of- so I had it for about seven years. We we start. I started with scrappers, and it's been closed now for a year and a half. So that's uh, seven plus eight and a half years ago. Have you have you started to move it into like? Have you moved the shop into like an online realm? Because it seems like you know, that's I, the nature, right? Like all yeah. So many brick and mortar spots move right into the digital realm if and it makes sense it's like do you want to pay a, a large rent every month when uh the for some people maybe most of their sales come from an online source or like a good percentage of it yeah like it almost is like why not just switch to that we 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 started or i started as a digital daily a web shop and then yeah. moved into retail just because i really like the idea of people being able to see something in person and it was important to me to bring some of these artists to the Pacific Northwest where people in Portland could see their work. Um, 
But I don't know, like having a web shop and selling other people's work, it's good. But now so many people are already doing it on their own. I mean, it's the same for a gallery. So many people are doing what they want to do through their own venues. You have to find a way that you're cross-pollinating. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, and I guess that's probably a big struggle. And it's sort of something that comes up on the show a lot, like this idea of now that artists have a avenue to connect with collectors, I mean, they can make money on their own. But that doesn't discount the importance of, like what you said, having the ability to see something in person is so much different. Like I know, like for yeah. uh, it, I know for me, I know it's something that um, I've had Dalek on the show. He mentioned the same thing that like photographing the work. Like sometimes we just take shitty photos just to get it up to post on something so that people could see it. Well, yes, yeah, smaller and smaller and smaller now that we're using our hand computers for everything. It's a joke, like yeah. trying to look at something. And, it, it's, and especially if you're looking at a Dalek piece, you want to see that thing at four by eight feet in front of your face, you know? Yeah, because you'd lose out. You you lose a bunch of the information that, that yeah. doesn't get picked up in however it transfers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, let's jump back a little bit. So you're in Portland now. Did you grow up there? No, I, I was born in Southern California and raised in Northern California. What part of I'm, Southern? What part of Southern? Uh, Santa Ana. Okay. <laughs> but I lived there until I was four. Okay. And then moved all over the place in Northern California. There's uh, Mendocino and San Francisco and Walnut Creek and Fairfield and Oakley. What, uh, all over. What did your folks do to have you moving around so much? They Well, when I was... Before I was born and up till I was about six, my dad drag raced motorcycles. Okay. Uh, and then he just dropped that and became an electrician. Didn't like that, wanted to do woodworking, so he did woodworking for a while. And then eventually he came back to being an electrician and an electrical contractor. Was always just looking for, you know, like move to the country, get like that going but then like oh but i need work so he'd move wherever the work was and he'd right. just continue that cycle again and again was there uh sort of an independence that you picked up from that it seems like those are sort of yeah. all you know independent type of uh avenues yeah i definitely you know like i uh growing up up until high school almost i didn't have any regular friends i would have one friend we'd move like, all right, see you later, friend, and then start new. And that's also why, you know, we moved to I moved to Portland when I got married. Um, I married in 95 and moved here in 96. And, and we had a, two apartments kind of early on, and now we've had a house that we've been in now for 15 years, oh, wow. 15 plus years. Nice. And it kind of set the foundation for I, I think I, I like traveling, but I want one home base that I always, always have. Yeah. So, and yeah. is that uh, you feel like that's a result of moving around so much too? Yeah, like having I think that... so. Yeah. Yeah, and my wife too. She 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 grew up mostly in Hollywood, but was always moving around from one place in L.A. to another place. You know, far enough away that that she didn't doesn't have friends from when she was a little kid. You know, growing up. So, yeah. what exposed you to the arts then? Uh, well. My mom was always doing something crafty. You know, she was painting. She used to paint sayings on rocks. We'd sell them at the flea market. 
And right. like, I'm, I'm doing a whole series of rock paintings right now. <laughs> nice. That's what I was going to be drawing on. See, look. I think I saw a few of those on your web- website. This is just I... a blank one, but that's what I'm working uh, on. Oh, right that's now. great, man. Yeah. So she was always painting or sewing dolls or something. And my dad was very much uh, an inventor at heart. He, uh, he made one of the very first portable, uh, like a briefcase thing that you would put your blueprints inside of uh-huh. but only it weighed 25 pounds <laughs> <laughs> you know like everything he was always, in the 70s yeah he's always trying to work something out like invent something new he invented a a slider for your golf putter that was weighted you know so you get a different weight going around it's like That's he was right. always up to something so i think i get some of that from from them yeah for sure so i kind of have a very similar path you know my dad was involved in construction and a lot of um like mobile home sort of uh configuration i don't know you know putting them together manufacturing i guess uh and he had invented his own um the support they're like pier i don't know what they're called there's support beams underneath but they're underneath mobile homes for he made like a earthquake preventative uh piece that you attach to for safety oh really yeah and same sort of thing and my mom artistic painted and drew and was crafty all the time uh i I think that is like a formula right like a mom who who has a a craft a dad who's an inventor type somehow uh and usually kind of sometimes like uh like rough childhoods tend to produce yeah yeah and I guess parents, the moving, you know, like parents. Well, you, I didn't have an, any type of abusive childhood at all, but but um, my dad was a he was a, a very gentle, kind, full fledged alcoholic, and uh, <laughs> and and he he passed away when I was in high school, you know, and and that also creates an independence too. So when um yeah, forced when right I, when I graduated from high school, I moved to San Francisco, and my mom said, okay. Do, do a great job. Be careful out there. And she moved back to her old hometown in Michigan. She was raised in Michigan, and and it's been like that ever since. Like I never really had a, you know, a nest to come back to or something. I was just out there. Yeah. <laughs> did, did you say? Do you have kids too? I have a a ten year old girl. Oh, nice. Yeah. How did that change uh, a lot? Like the the art making practice for you. I don't know if it changed my art a whole lot, but I definitely have a good time making stuff with her, and and um, she brings me a lot of joy, frustration, love, <laughs> happiness, pain. Yeah, and it seems like so. Maybe we that could be a good segue into the things that you make, because maybe that you know it sounds like, or even like looking at your creatures, they seem to be able to uh, encapsulate all those sort of emotions, like. They, so they look they look happy, they look a little frustrated, they look a little angry, they look excited sometimes. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of look at you in – it's kind of hard to pigeonhole you. In, Good. In, yeah, right? In, in terms of like a descriptive manner, you know, like people you – know, like I can easily just call myself a painter, right? Right, or, yeah. Or, you know, whatever. But it seems, you know, you, you make uh, – I, I even even using the word toys sounds a little like not the proper descriptive way to go about it. Yeah, but I still haven't figured that out. I, what to call it? You make three D sculptures, yeah. Um, and, but at the same time, you make a lot of two D illustrative, maybe um, 
along the comic book line. Uh, but do do you do you think of yourself as any particular like a sculptor or an illustrator? Do you do you consider yourself a painter? Or do you consider yourself all of those things? When I'm trying to simplify, I just call myself an illustrator. But depending on who I talk to, sometimes I tell them I'm a toy maker. But then I get upset that I'm being that I would be pigeonholed as a toy maker because <laughs> yeah. I come from a, you know, I come from an illustration and a painting background that's all you know i've always loved toys and i've always painted pictures and until i had the opportunity to you know to make these soft vinyl toys in japan all i did was paint pictures you know so and i still continue to do that today so i i just say i'm an artist and then if someone takes an interest and it's like well you know i do murals i do paintings i make toys and then if they want to break it down even further so well, I make about seventy percent of my income from toys <laughs> these days, yeah. and the rest from illustration gigs. Whether it's working, you know, like a signature piece with a company, or just getting hired on for something, you know, just depends. Do either of the mediums bring you more joy? They they both bring me immense joy at different times. Uh-huh. Like if I'm. If I'm doing a painting and I finally get into a rhythm or a flow with it, or I'm really excited about what just happened, then it's, that's the best thing ever. Um, but I'm doing a toy when I get that very first test shot in the mail from Japan. It's a flip out day, you know. Like sometimes I want to just cry. I'm so stoked. Yeah. And, uh, so maybe so. maybe that's something we we could talk about is. Uh, I know for me, I'm always really interested when artists manufacture things and because it's usually like a process that most of us don't know how it works, right? Like that's true. If you asked me to make a toy like that or a sculpture in that manner, I would, I wouldn't know without Google, if I was just to try to figure (laughs) it out, it wouldn't happen. Right. So I think that, and I've been talking a lot about how seeing our work in print it looks like something different and has like a very uh, a, a different intrinsic value looking at something that's printed based on something that you made by hand. It just looks interesting when you get that transition. And I yeah. assume it's the same thing with the sculptures. Like I, I would assume they start from sketches. Can we run through like the process maybe? Yeah, sure. Uh, usually I'll have an idea in my head that I want to do as a painting. Sometimes I already know I want to see this as a toy. But I'll draw it not as a three-dimensional object first. I'll just draw it as a as 2D art living in a two-dimensional world. And then if I if I dig it or someone else digs it and we want to make it into a toy, we do turns. So like working on stuff for Kid Robot right now, you know, they want to see left, right, front, back, top, and bottom, and then any details or whatever that you want to come up with. And then it gets turned into a sculpt. Um, All of my stuff so far has been hand sculpted, not 3D sculpted. But, uh, yeah, so people use, like, Sculpey or whatever medium they they choose to do the first sculpt. That gets turned into a wax copy. The wax copy gets little plugs and stuff made for all their, their arms and heads. So when you pull them apart... The wax copy has all these pieces. This is great for uh, no one that can see this, right? Yeah, nobody can see it. 
But if you're descriptive about your your showing, so so all the pieces will come like this. Will be in the fish toy. Each piece has a big flange coming off of it, and and that sculpted wax piece with the flange included in the sculpt uh, sits and gets into a metal mold, like a fryer, like a tray, and then soft only gets poured into that. That gets put into a 400-degree bath and then uh, pull it out, and then they yank out the super soft, very warm vinyl, and then they put, put together your toy. And it's all mom-and-pop shops in Japan that, are, that I usually work with. I mean, Kid Robot is an exemption that would be made in China, but uh, most of the stuff that I do is, is just these mom-and-pop shops in Japan. And that's sort of lady and a little old man who've been working together for years now make most of my stuff. The the style of toys is popularized from old Japanese movies and stuff, right? Ah, yeah, yeah. It's you know you know like old Godzilla and Ultraman stuff. That's that's the that is the the toys that they made for those were kind of what we do now. They, you can call it Sofubi or people call it Kaiju. Yeah, it's all monsters. How, monsters uh, are cute stuff. <laughs> I, I'm always fascinated by the ability to draw the different angles. Even like uh, like watching people who do cartoons, like the idea of drawing the same figure multiple times in multiple different angles from, like, yeah. from all different angles is a skill that that uh, I I know I don't have. And I know, <laughs> I know there's ways around it, to, like ways to figure it out. And I guess that with anything, if you take the time to learn how to do it. Well, yeah, if you're doing a painting, it's always fine because you visualize how you want the painting to look or the character look on the painting. But when you start thinking about putting it into a three-dimensional piece that someone else has to translate, not your own brain, then it gets a little little tricky. How um, does, have you found that the translation usually works out pretty well? Have you found you got some weird... Uh, results back from your original sketches? I have really awesome sculptors that I work with for all the stuff I get made in Japan, both here in the States and in Japan. I don't have to do all those turnarounds. I do a front, a back, and then I give them a couple like cool details, like this is how I want the scales to look, or this is how I want that to go. And they pretty much sorry, they pretty much nail it every time. Uh, the few things that I had done in China, it's very, like, what you see is what you get. You know, if you draw that thing, you get that thing. <laughs> yeah. And some, sometimes even that will get mixed up. Like, the this early stuff I did had, um, had a drum set that was supposed to be all made out of wood. And a, an example of how things can get a little twisted when you're manufacturing in China is, all the wood grain was going across, like wood grain going across the drumsticks, not up and down on the drumsticks. <laughs> yeah. Like just stuff you go, oh, okay. This person doesn't translate what they're getting. They're just literally looking at the page and then seeing what they get from, from that. You know? that that's what it, it just, and that's an interesting sort of look at a country that's been a communist country for so long, how 
you just get into the rules of like the regulation like you just get into the 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 lockstep of regulation like you never question if it says do step one two three four you do step one two three four yeah as opposed to uh you know sort of trying to figure out okay there may be a mistake here and we find that like and that's something i think western technology or like you know like even some of the sciences it seems like where a lot of western culture fails in education it it rises in certain areas because of our abilities to sort of like question the rules yeah kind of interesting and it's just a sort of a byproduct of the society in which somebody grows up in you know not to like condemn or condone or yeah or they've never played drums Right. <laughs> yeah. Even more simply. Right? Yeah. They're nobody. They're not in a punk rock band growing up or whatever. You know, like they're just like drums. Nope. Don't play those. Don't know what that is. Was that a uh, an early ambition for you, playing drums in a punk band? <laughs> no. I mean, I, I played played in bands, but I was never good at anything. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm convinced in, in, all painters are secretly want to be musicians and rock stars. Oh, uh, probably. And, yeah. And all rock stars and musicians secretly want to be painters. <laughs> I agree. It happens all the time. So when, uh, did, did you do the art school thing? Did you, did you set a path on this? Uh, what, what started you out? On, in, uh, in the art career, I, I always knew that I wanted to make art, but I didn't know how I would go about it. And I did not have, I didn't go to an art school or college. I went to college for a, a semester and a half doing just uh, general studies. Uh-huh. And uh, just one day I decided I would go skateboarding instead of taking the train. How do you feel about that decision all these years later? I think, well, I think, you know, I I formed some really solid relationships at even at that short time I was in uh, just a community college in San Francisco. I met my friend Jimbo through there, met Chris Johansson there, met all these other amazing people at that time. I want to have Chris Johansson on the show. He's a, he'd be an all right dude. Um, Yeah, I mean. Like I met those people through going to that 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 school, and I can see all the little trails that that created for me in my life. But I don't feel I don't feel like I would have become. I don't, I don't know, man. I'm happy with the decision I made. Yeah, I know that. Well, I, I, I asked because I made the same decision, sort of. Like I just got right. Like even I. I just started working right away as soon as I was done with school. Yeah. And then happened to fall into a job that was directly related to the art world. And so oh, I found okay. a pathway that way. Um, but I I didn't go to college. I didn't go to art school. I didn't do any of those things. So I, I kind of question it myself sometimes. Like, you know, I never know if I've made a right decision or a wrong decision. It's hard. For, I don't even know how to even like quantify it to be honest but like i think about it sometimes like in terms of like okay what i i don't know and maybe it's just getting to a certain age where you look back and you go okay what would have happened at a different sort of (laughs) yeah if if the coin flipped a different way at that moment you know Uh, i think i i would have taken the 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 stairs no matter which direction i chose whether it was school or no school i don't think i was ready for 
an art job or this or that. I mean, I even had opportunities that, that I couldn't get my brain to catch when I was young. Like I worked at a copy shop when I was in high school. Copy or coffee? C-O-P-Y. Yeah. And I didn't get that, you know, I, I had seen a maximum rock and roll before. I had seen a flip side. And I didn't get that I could make my own zines for free or my own <laughs> comics until a few years later after seeing, like, I saw this guy's uh, zine called Wadzelmac. Uh, and uh, it was still, like, it didn't occur to me because that's how I found my way into artists through making my own zines. You know, and I, I had another opportunity once uh, as an adult to, uh, to do animation. And I took this animation test at this place called Colossal in San Francisco. My friend Jimbo hooked me up with with the interview, and the person said, "You come here. You're not ready yet, but 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 I can see that you've got enough skills to do this. You can use this space anytime. Use the paint. Come in here for a few more days, and then I'll put you on a job." And I walked away, going, "No, that's okay." <laughs> You know, I worked at Safeway during that time. Like, that was not, you know, in UPS, like, being a loader, like, why couldn't I get that that was a really, like, amazing once-in-a-lifetime gig? Couldn't, I'm, I was too thick. Yeah, that's, and that's, I think, the beauty of, like, realizing how dumb, like, 20-year-olds are. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's like, yep. holy shit, I've made so many bad choices. Uh, <laughs> But I think, and I think that's sort of why I like to reflect on it to like, even if I did make a bad choice, like check my ego enough to realize that there's something to learn there, you know? Yeah. yeah. And that's, I trained jujitsu, uh, Brazilian jujitsu, and that's sort of like one of the main like ego checking ideals and like positive things about it is that no matter what you're there's always going to be somebody better than you and you you got to like be willing to learn from all the people that are going to just ruin your day you know what i mean all like the, all the gracies of the world yeah everyone well you, dude <laughs> even less than that trust me like, <laughs> you, and but what i mean is you know you really it's when your arm gets taken a hundred times you finally you're like oh okay i don't put my <laughs> arm right there to get taken right <laughs> And it, it seems like I and I know for me and I know a lot of people, there seems to be some perfect assholes out there who are able to not make mistakes their whole life. But I, I think for a lot of us, like there's a whole series of like problems and shit that you have to go through in your 20s yeah. to figure out like what to do in your 30s and then just yeah. panic about. It. And then that's what happens. You, then you start to just panic about all the shit that you learned and what to do in your 30s to get to the 40s and then. Although I'm not in my 50s yet, I'm sure I'm learning a bunch of junk right now the wrong way to figure out life for my next group of years. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, it, it's interesting to set it up like that in like blockings of of 10 years, like to look <laughs> over the decades of uh, of mistakes and trials and tribulations. Um, you got a show coming up. Uh, well, you do. You got a, a ton of stuff. You're you're literally painting while we're talking, just so everybody knows. Yes, sir. That you are a man of your work. <laughs> you got your nose to the grindstone. Um, you got a whole bunch of stuff coming up. You're going to be down here in San Diego for Comic Con. You got a show coming up with uh, Daniel Rolnick up in in uh, Santa Monica. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, next next week is San Diego already. I know, it's it's earlier this year than it, than it has been since it's, I don't know, since a long, long time ago. How long have it's you just, been going? Uh, well, I, I just went 13 years straight having a booth and had gone a few years off and on before then. And uh, this year would be the first year that I don't have a booth inside since since those that you know before that 13 years yeah um so this year i'm teaming up with with paul kaiju to do an off-site show at at gunzo in old town on on saturday night okay nice so i'm painting a assload of toys for that and then uh and then yeah then the very next week is the daniel rolnick scenario what uh what do you got going for the gallery show the gallery show is all dinosaur paintings uh, theoretically, <laughs> what, uh, <laughs> what what sparked that? Uh, I mean, I, you have I, a lot of reptiles show up in in your work, uh, at least reptile like yeah. figures. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I've been painting them off and on for for ages. But what I think what got me rolling on it again is is I had a show in Massachusetts uh, j- just under a month ago now, and we went and saw dinosaur tracks. There's all these dinosaur tracks along the Connecticut River, and uh, we went to the first. We went to the ones that were easy to get to that that are right off the road. Then we went to a quarry, where in this old guy's uh, property, where he's digging them up. And then we went to the Natural History Museum at the Amherst College and just kind of went bonkers with dinosaur tracks. So. What, was it that exciting that that it it's it spurred that like a big interest? Like was it there? So, like, sometimes you see, th- like, again, in person, you see things in person, and it gives you some different perspective on something that you, that you thought you knew about, right? Well, I, I think the difference there was is, is there's there's just a few spots where you can see them not in a museum. Right. And and they're not even giant. You know, the biggest one's about 11 inches. You know, they're, 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 they're big creatures, but they're not – you're not talking about these mega – you know, dinosaurs or anything like that. Do you think people build build the prints like they do, like the Bigfoot ones? No, sir. And then they secondly, are... do you believe in Bigfoot? I believe that it, Bigfoot is possible. <laughs> like the way that, that God is possible. Yeah. And yeah. several other things. So it's like sort of like how you define it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how you define it. But the, but the dinosaur tracks, you know, they're... They're right there in the in the stone, and, and they're they're in all these layers of shale. Okay. And so you dig up another layer. There's another layer of dinosaur tracks underneath. It's it's uh, nuts. No dinosaur bones, only tracks because of the way the of the the geology of the past there. Yeah. So so that got me kind of really just excited about it again. So so right now I'm painting a, a triceratop ish dude doing an invert. On a rock <laughs> landscape, nice. Getting real serious about this dinosaur business. Um, are you you're doing all paintings for the show? Um, mostly paintings. I've got a a giant fiberglass version of one of my toys that um, you know, or, or one of my characters that I'm going to have there. And I'm hoping to do some some uh, ridiculous wooden skateboards with like ones that only make right turns. Ones that only make left turns, 
Nice. <laughs> um, but we'll, we'll see if I get to that. I always have lots of aspirations, and I want to see how much I can actually uh, I, can, I can follow through on. That's the artist dilemma, right? There's so many fucking yeah. ideas in the head. <laughs> like, it, it's funny. I even sometimes, I think, just get joy just from coming up with ideas in my head, even if they disappear five minutes later and they're never to be thought of or, or well, formulated again. We shouldn't do all of them. Some of them are really bad. I think I think I make the mistake of letting all the good ones go and then choosing about it. Oh no. It's the opposite. I, I once had a show that I curated that I decided I wanted them to all be Sharpie drawings and I wanted it to be hummingbirds and male pattern baldness. <laughs> it was not a great selling show and mostly just confused people. But I was like, Oh, that's so good. That's gonna be the that's gonna be a winner. There, no, not a winner. It's it's bad. You would think, yeah. I guess it's kind of a it's a dichotomy of two very different things. Uh, people love hummingbirds, though. Yeah, but not maybe, so much the male pattern baldness. Yeah, it's funny to add the the insecurity of male pattern baldness to the beauty and serenity of a bizarre bird that floats around. Yeah, I get the I get hummingbirds now right outside my studio window here. You know, a lot of people think that hummingbirds are like souls of dead people. Oh, really? Do you ever hear people say that? Like, there's no, a, that's I, a I new hear one that me. a lot, especially with hummingbirds. Like, oh, really? that was. And in fact, uh, the Grateful Dead just did the like 50th anniversary show uh, in Santa Clara this past weekend. Okay. And you know, we had some big storms come through the West Coast here this last week, and. Uh, and it rained in in Santa Clara, and a big oh, nice. rainbow went over the top of the stadium there at Levi ah, Stadium. Ah. And of course, it's beautiful. It's it's a it's a, a thing of nature. You know, it's 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 wonderful to see. But a lot of people are like, "Oh, that's Jerry, right? Yeah, Jerry's like just, back. Just associating <laughs> a naturally occurring phenomenon with a, a past dead loved one or something. And I mean, you know, if that's how it people feel good. <laughs> Right? Yeah. It's possible. Yeah, in the same way Bigfoot's possible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. All right. Well, um, I want to thank you for, for taking the time. I know you're super busy. I want to thank you for taking the time to shoot the shit with me. Um, I want to wish you best of luck on your upcoming shows. I'm going to come out for the thing on Saturday. Uh, oh, nice. Be good to see you. Yeah, down yeah. in Old Town, you said? Yep. Um, yeah. Where can people find your stuff? Where can they get your information and check out the things that you're doing on the internet? Uh, com, gravytoys.com, and uh, banana poons on Instagram. Beautiful. That's all, all right. my piles. Let's do um, internet dap. Do you know what an internet dap is? Oh, oh Jiminy. Boom. Oh, wow. Internet dap. That's how these shows nice. officially end. They don't end until <laughs> internet dap happens. <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes it's real life daps, but it's mostly internet daps. All right, well, my friends. Thanks, friend. Mike, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. I appreciate you as well, and uh, I look forward to seeing all the stuff that you got coming up. All right, man. All right, have a good one. See ya. Bye. That was my chat with Mr. Buana Spoons. Uh, I appreciate his patience and his joyfulness, even though he was uh, had a shit ton pile of work to get done. He was uh, very kind as it took me 45 minutes to get that podcast up and going. Sometimes technical difficulties can be a motherfucker. 
Uh, so as always, make sure you check out our friends at Soho Design House at S-O-H-O-D-H on Instagram. If you're in the Los Angeles area, you can give them a visit. Tell them the podcast sent you. They're at 6912 Melrose Avenue. They have uh, their their rugs on display. Artists, if you want to get some stuff made that's really cool, I highly suggest going, checking out their Instagram. Uh, go to the website, SohoDesignHouse.com. Get a rug made. Like, make make the leap. Magic Carpet Rides is what I'm thinking about right now. Maybe that should be the song out, Magic Carpet Ride. All right. Uh, thanks again for listening. Follow me at Mike Maxwell Art. Instagrams and everywhere. If you want to donate to the podcast, you could do so at MikeMaxwellArt.com. Click on the podcast and see the PayPal link there. Drop a five. Drop a dime. Shout out to the Unconscious Collective. Big thanks for your donation this week. Um, you are awesome and everybody else is awesome and I love you and I hope the best for Let the sound take you away.